Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker Podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Cincinnati Open as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. We can obviously get into Hope Solo saying Megan Rapinoe forced her to kneel and forced other players to kneel. We can obviously get into Aquafina's black scent and just the Twitter backlash that happened with not only Aquafina but also with Carrie Underwood and her liking a tweet about mask mandates in schools or whatnot. Uh, we can also get into Lauren Bobbert, a congresswoman, saying that Taliban is building back better. Uh, Joe Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal. We can continue that discussion that we uh, uh, left off on Tuesday, as well as Andy Murray's odds at the U.S. Open. And we're all startled for today, uh, but we're all we're all startled for today. We'll be on Stefano Sitsipas's vaccine comments. So uh, the reason why I'm going to be talking about this today is because, frankly, I wasn't able to watch the Cincinnati Open yesterday. It was raining in Cincy, and as a result, I just couldn't be able to watch it on the schedule that they provided for me or that they provided yesterday. Uh, a lot of matches were suspended or a lot of matches were then, you know, sort of continued on later in the day and I just couldn't be able to watch those matches that I was really that I really anticipated to watch such as Berrettini and, and uh, other matches of that ilk. Uh, so I just couldn't be able to watch the matches. Um, and more importantly, I was focusing more on my stand-up yesterday. I had to go out for stand-up, go, go to an open mic. Uh, I have like around like eight to nine minutes of material. Hopefully I'm able to get like a half-hour special out, out there, out, up and running, because I think it's it's awesome, you know. And I, I want to be able to like release a half-hour special by like maybe next year. So I'm like eight to nine minutes in, maybe ten if I'm able to stretch it out. Uh, again, I have to work, focus on my inflection and the way that I, uh, you know, sort of structure my jokes and my overall cadence. Uh, but overall, I just know that I wasn't able to watch the Cincinnati Open yesterday uh, because I was just too focused on stand-up. And um, yeah, that, understand that that will be more recurring as this podcast goes on, like for the next year or so, uh, because I will be focusing on stand-up. Don't get me wrong, I'll still be able to comment on tennis uh, but just understand that I'm, I'm juggling two things right here. You know, like I'm juggling stand up, but I'll, I'm also juggling tennis and it's just, just understand that, you know, I'm not going to be able to provide you with the latest insight that you may have seen from me maybe two, three months ago when I was talking about the French open in Wimbledon, you know, just understand that it's going to be a little bit more, uh, it's going to be a little bit more delayed, I would say. It's a little. It's going to be a little bit more um, on the back burner. I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going to focus entirely on stand up. Obviously, I'm going to focus on podcasting as well. But just understand that it's going to be something that you should be mindful of. So, just wanted to get that out of the way. Let's get into um, Stefano Sitsipas's comments on the vaccine. So, if you guys don't know, Stefano Sitsipas stated that he only he will only be taking the vaccine if he is forced to take it. And a lot of people in Greece were really mad at him. It, people, it got him trending, by the way. This, these comments got him trending in Greece because of a lot of people found found it to be ignorant. A lot of people thought he was not living up to what he should be doing, which is uh, taking the vaccine. Um, and this is just my overall thoughts and opinion on this incident and just this news story in general. Stefano Sitzpas is young. He's healthy. And in my opinion, I think the reaction to this is quite overblown. 
um, again, you know, when I heard when I heard these comments, it was very reminiscent of Joe Rogan and just how much shit he would get for just state stating his opinion. And, you know, when I see this, it, it reminds me a lot about those times where whenever he would sit down with a guest, he would give his opinion on the vaccines and you would just see the MSM just get completely mad at him for stating what I thought would be like kind of like a widely held belief or an opinion. Um, this is just one of those things where uh, while I am vaccinated, you know, it's up to you whether or not you want to get vaccinated. Uh, I'm not going to like force you down and get the needle or get the jab. But I do think that this is one of those things where it's like, oh, if I'm vaccinated, then you got to be vaccinated as well. Otherwise, you're a grandma killer, which I don't think is the right way to go about this. Um, so again, you know, Stefano Sitsabas got in trouble for saying these comments. And again, like, I think what he said is quite logical. You know, obviously, uh, it may not be the best advice given by a doctor, but it, he said that if he's forced to take it, he'll take it. Um, I mean, I, I don't really see why people are getting mad at him, especially people who are liberals or on the left, right? Like, you can't be saying it's your body, your choice for abortions, but when it comes to vaccines, you're pro-life. It's a little hypocritical. And I think this is one of those things where you have to at least be a little bit understanding of Stefano Tsitsipas. Right? Again, he's a person who did not go to school, uh, a person who grew up in Greece. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if Greece is the most medically aware country in the world. I don't know if they have the best doctors and uh, infrastructure there. I'm not so sure. Uh, it doesn't seem like it. So I think you have to be understanding of where Stefano Tsitsipas is coming from and have less judgment when it comes to any tennis player or just any person who is a little bit cautious of taking the vaccine. Because if you are cautious about taking the vaccine, you're just a human being. I, th I feel like we, we need to say that more and more often. You know, just because you're cautious of the uh, just because you're cautious of taking the vaccine doesn't mean that you're anti-vax. And I think that that nuance has been left and has been departed with people that are so gung ho about being pro-science and more oftentimes just being pro-scientism for the sake of being pro-scientism. You know, and that's a very, very dangerous avenue that we're going to and heading into if that is our MO, if that is our vendetta, or just if that's what our main mission is. So, Stefano Sitsipas, in my opinion, um, I think he's well within his range to say this, you know. Again, I want to clarify, I am vaccinated. Uh, so, if you want to be unvaccinated, that's completely up to you. Uh, I don't think we should force you to get the vaccine. And I don't think we, there should be vaccine passports. Um, but, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I feel like we need to be a, more aware and more understanding of those who are hesitant uh, because their issues uh, are represented with a bulk of people, not only in America, but in the world in general. And to suddenly diminish that, I don't think that's beneficial for anybody. Um, so, yes, I, I do think that he is well within his right to say this. And I kind of understand what he was saying. You know, like it's, it's one of those things where we need to be more more willing to identify and understand those who are living in really dark and tense situations uh, and, and are very questioning of, of what Big Pharma and what those in power have to say uh, because it is something that sh should be a question for a lot of people.
you know that's something that i don't really get about like uh people on the left right like they'll be questioning about big pharma and you know they'll bring up and you can bring and they'll bring up all the lawsuits that were again pfizer on moderna but when you question them on like on this vaccine they're like well you should take it it's like weren't you the same people that were like against big pharma you know and again like i've taken the vaccine i've taken my pfizer jabs but again it's kind of interesting to see like it play out you know i think it's a little you know and i, I again like i could be losing myself here uh but it is interesting to see like you know people on both sides of the aisle really find ways to like be hypocritical about this right like conservatives on one hand are like oh we we're against government regulation we're against you know you know government mandates but they have not but you know they're saying that they're waiting for the fda to approve these vaccines it's like don't you realize the fda is a government agency <laughs> you know like don't you realize this like it, it's weird to see the overall hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle whenever uh, discussions about the vaccine are, dis are are talked about uh so yeah it, it's one of those things where um i, I just truly it, it's a lose-lose situation whatever side you pick uh for me i'm vaccinated and honestly like vaccine passports are going to be a thing and i think that there will be a lot of private businesses that will require you to be vaxxed and hey they may say oh you need the latest version of the vaccine that you have to wait until five six months to get it until then no service for you who cares like that it's it's going to be the thing you know you can you can bitch and complain about all all you want but it's going to be the thing and you know obviously i'm not in support of it you know i'm with dave smith when he talks about his uh his lack of excitement for vaccine passports and how we should be against it uh, but it's gonna be a thing and you know um yeah I'm, I'm just very scared about the world that we're gonna live in in the next few few weeks few months uh because once this afghanistan news dies down best believe the msm will continue discussions about the delta plus variant it's not gonna go away at all uh yeah i'll stop while i'm ahead on that discussion so uh Anyways, uh, let's move into our next topic. I obviously talked about this in the rundown for today's podcast, but I think it needs more explanation, so let's get into it. So Andy Murray uh, has won against Richard Gasket 6464 uh, at the Cincinnati Open on Monday. He won against him in straight sets. Really good match for Andy Murray. Um, more often than not, it was, a, it was basically what we've come to expect from Andy Murray. Just being consistent near the baseline, give great serves, um, more often than not have aces, great percentage on first serve percentage as well, on first per serve one percentage. Um, just overall ma good match for Andy Murray. And definitely was, you could see like the clinks going on in his head. You could see him really processing Gasket's ability to play and sort of internalizing that and processing that in ways that it could really counteract with Gasket's play and actually gain the upper hand when it came to uh, playing against Gasket. So the question remains, what are Andy Murray's odds of a U.S. Open win? Now, I want to be honest with you. Can Andy Murray win the U.S. Open? No. Uh, I don't think anybody can say that. Obviously, he's won the U.S. Open in 2012 against Novak. So, yes, he's done it before, but you have to realize that he's had multiple injuries. Multiple injuries, groin injury, two separate hip injuries. 
the man is not the same as he once was. And again, like obviously his groin injury is a cause of concern, but also more importantly, those hip injuries, because as a tennis player, you gain most of your power through your hips. You know, your hips don't lie when you're on that tennis court. And a lot of people think you get power from your upper body. No, no, no. It's mostly a lower body. You know, that's why most tennis players focus on, you know, their calves, on on being able to, you know, move and alternate from one side of the court to another side of the court and be more agile, be more uh, into it in terms of uh, enduring yourself within the t- within tennis play. And, you know, again, you know, when you have those two hip injuries, it really slows and alters your way of hitting the tennis ball and, you know, being able to generate power at the baseline. So it's, it's yes, you know, while Andy Murray is a great player, you know, don't get me wrong, he's obviously influenced me and inspired me to play the sport of tennis. I've said that and made that abundantly clear in this podcast. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to win the U.S. Open. Yes, it's a great win for Andy Murray against Richard Gasket uh, at the Cincinnati Open. He's now in the round of 32, which is great. I'm really very, very happy for him. Um... I just think it's important to at least point out that um, it, it's not going to be what we've been expected of Andy Murray. Uh, and it, it's not going to be like all of a sudden 2016 Andy Murray where he was just lights out during that year. It, it's going to be more or less the same as what we saw in Wimbledon, you know, where he won against Basilashvili. He came back, I mean, Basilashvili came back 5 love and beat him 7-5 in that second or third set. Uh you know, it's going to be very similar to that. And, you know, again, that Wimbledon, you know, while it wasn't up to par with what we saw in, 23, in 2013, 2016, uh, I think that Wimbledon will be what we're going to see in the U.S. Open. You know, we're going to see him progress to the third round, maybe the fourth round of the Grand Slam. But I don't think he's going to be going any further than that. Um, who knows? He could run into Wimbledon semifinalist Shapovalov, and that could be the end of it. But... Overall, that's just something that should be in the minds of every Andy Murray fan. Can Andy Murray win uh, the U.S. Open? No, but I do think he can reach to the third or fourth round and actually make a commendable showing while he's at Queens. So that's overall uh, my opinion on Andy Murray. Great player, uh, but again, to, to think that he's going to have a return to form or a return to what we saw in the prime Andy Murray years, which is like the years of 2013 to 2016, uh, I, I think you're. I think you're making a fool out of yourself if you really believe that he could, you know, return to that style. Uh, but again, he's still a great player, and he still is an influence to me. And you know, just my overall tennis-like ability, I really was influenced by his play, and I really credit him for making me understand that there is a different side of tennis than just being aggressive at the baseline and uh, doing serve and volley tactics. So I, I commend and applaud Andy Murray for what he's done for the sport. Um, I just don't think he has what it takes to win the U.S. Open. Uh, and I, I don't think anybody really believes that as well. So that's just overall, overall my opinion on Andy Murray and what we can expect of him in the next month or so at Queens, New York. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be very, very interesting to see, like, what the U.S. Open will bring and what, what, what it will entail. Obviously, the winner or the likely winner will be Novak Djokovic, and he will get those four slams in one calendar year, which is obviously a very, very great thing within the sport of tennis to, like, really uh, enjoy 
mastery at its highest level because I think that is what Novak Djokovic does do on a routine basis. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, U.S. Open. Do I think the U.S. audience will be happy with Novak winning? No. Um, and most of it's on Novak, I think. You know, his inability to really continue or really appeal uh, to an audience, I, I think that's a very immediate cause of concern. Um, I mean, listen, when I upload those Novak Djokovic videos where I say he's the GOAT, it's mostly Indian people. It's mostly people who are me. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly people who are within Europe and within Serbia that comment on those videos. Obviously, I'm sure there are a few Americans there as well. But when I see the comment section, it's mostly Europeans and Asians, um, which kind of shows you that he doesn't have that trust with the American audience. You know, I mean, when you hear about the American audience member who's into tennis, but not that into tennis, you know, they are fans of Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal. And part of it is because they're just able to bring more exciting play to it. And again, this is no knock against Djokovic, but Djokovic is more calculated. He's more sort of aware of the entire vicinity of the court and can really find tight spaces and tight holes, tight holes where he can really take advantage of it. And that's something that Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, while they do have that grace and composure and that elegance to really succeed on court, they haven't really been able to master that as well as, say, Novak. Obviously, those three players are the GOATs, don't get me wrong, but it is something that is should at least be discussed, you know, where Novak Djokovic is a master at understanding all areas of the court, whereas, say, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer, haven't been able to do that as much as, say, a Djokovic. You know, when you think of a Roger Federer, more in the past couple of years than, say, in the previous 15 years, uh, you we often we often think of Shankar. You know, I mean, I've heard John McEnroe say that in the press, uh, in the commentary, and that's uh, very, very uh, like him when you see him play at Wimbledon uh, this past year. And when you think of Rafa Nadal, you think about his 14, 13, 14 French Open wins. So, you know, it's one of those things where that is something that should be uh, that, you know, where was I in this discussion with Novak? Oh, yeah, Novak, Novak. Yeah, I mean, with my my uh, predictions on the U.S. Open, I, don't, I was like so, so into that, like. Uh, distinction and that like clarification as to like the difference between like Federer, Nadal versus Djokovic that I, I just completely lost my train of thought. Uh, but yeah, just understand that uh, it's probably going to be Joker winning. Uh, but again, like you can't count out these younger players. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, you can't count out uh, Medvedev or you can't count out Dominic Team. I mean, I don't think Dominic Team will be able to regain his U.S. Open title. I I don't. I've ha- I have a video on my clips channel if you haven't checked it out yet. Go check it out. Go check out my clips channel on the dis- in the description box below if you're listening on the YouTube podcast channel. Uh it's like can Dominic team regain his US Open title? Uh I say don't count him out, but as these as this, these next few weeks as the next few weeks have transpired, I'm leaning towards no um because again, it wasn't if if Novak Djokovic didn't like stick a ball down a line judge's throat, he probably would have won. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. You know, can Sasha Zverev be successful? Can, as I've said before, Medvedev? Can Dominic Team? Can 
Stefano Sitspas, can they all be successful uh, in New York? You know, I, I think it still remains to be seen uh, for a lot of those players. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on um, on this uh, topic with the U.S. Open hopefuls and, more importantly, with Andy Murray uh, at the U.S. Open. All right, so I think we've done the tennis topics for today. Uh, let's talk about, like, the... Or let's talk about the Afghanistan withdrawal. Obviously, I discussed it last Tuesday, but I think there's still a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, Joe Biden had a press conference on Afghanistan withdrawals, and I got this from WhiteHouse.gov. He had like a press conference, opened up, opened it up for Q and A as well. Uh, so he says, as I said in April, the United States did what we want to do in Afghanistan to get the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11 and to deliver justice to Osama bin Laden and to do, to degrade the terrorist threat to keep Afghanistan from becoming a base from which attacks can be continued against the United States. We achieved those objecti- objectives. That's why we went. We did not go to Afghanistan to nation build. And it's the right and it's it's the right and the responsibility of the Afghan people alone to decide their future and how they want to run their country. Together with our NATO allies and partners, we have trained and equipped over three nearly three hundred thousand currently serving members of the military currently uh, currently serving current serving members of the military of the Afghan National Security Force. Uh, and many beyond that that who are no longer serving. And to that, hundreds hundreds of thousands more Afghan National Defense and Security Forces trained over the last two decades. He will continue on by saying, uh, So let me ask those who wanted us to stay, how many more, how many more thousands of Americans, of America's daughters and sons are you willing to risk? How long would you have, how long would you have them to stay? Already, we have members of our military of our military whose parents fought in Afghanistan 20 years ago. Would you send their children and their grandchildren as well? Would you send your own son or daughter? After 20, uh, he sounds a lot like Ron Paul in this, which is very. Um, I I know I said in the last podcast I won't give Joe Biden credit, but as these next few days have occurred, I feel like it's important to at least say thank you so much, Joe Biden, for doing this. Uh, but again, he continues on saying after 20 years. A trillion dollars spent training and equipping hundreds of thousands of Afghan National Security and Defense Forces. 2,448 Americans killed, 20,722 more wounded, and untold thousands coming home with unseen trauma to their mental health. I will not send another generation of Americans to war in Afghanistan with no reasonable expectation of achieving a different outcome. And again, as I've said, you know, I said last podcast, I won't give Joe Biden credit. Um, because again, I, he is a member of the establishment, and he did let it happen. I mean, he did he did vote for AUMF in two thousand one, but I think it's important to at least uh, be thankful that he's doing this. And I, I want to retract what I said uh, last Monday because seeing the overall I don't want to say deep state, but deep state in the mainstream media sort of going after Joe Biden. For these comments, it's only made me prove. It's only proved. It's only proven to me that this was not what they wanted. This is not what I mean. You've heard Kamala Harris say, "I don't want them to pin this shit on me." That's her words, not mine. Which, come on, Kamala. I mean, that's something that Tulsi Gabbard would like commend you for. And Tulsi Gabbard does not like you. I mean, it's pretty evident from those debates that a lot of anti-war people and a lot of people that have 
their family in jail for non-violent drug offenses probably don't like you. And for good reason as well. So, I mean, the fact that you would say this, I, I think that's kind of that kind of shows you how inept you are at your job. And once Joe Biden leaves office, maybe it's in a year or three years, because I, I don't think a 78, 79-year-old can uh, run for office again. I, I don't think that's a good look. And again, you, we can obviously discuss his mental acuity and just how we, mentally he's there. Um, but I do think that Kamala is in the wrong if she's like in favor of the Afghanistan war because it just shows how tone deaf she is with the average American and just how they view this war over the past few years. And more importantly, since like Bush, because Bush is the main culprit for uh, the reason why we are at this war. I mean, if anything, Joe Biden was just continuing Trump's uh, agenda, which is, you know, pulling us out, you know, and uh, making sure that the Taliban were able to, you know, take control. Uh, now, did we align ourselves with bad people probably uh but again it's a it's totally within american history to align yourselves and arm uh rebels uh as we've come to do in the past since iran contra so i mean it's going to be like a very interesting thing man you know it's going to be interesting to see how the msm uh sort of plays off this you know i remember yesterday i was at like this open mic and i was hearing this conversation by like this couple um, and I, I, I overheard because they were talking about Afghanistan, uh, and plus I was the only one there. I was like the first one there at the open mic, and like the dude was saying, "Oh, China's going to take over Afghanistan now. No, this is a bad decision by Biden." And I'm like, China hasn't been in a war since like '78. All right, like the people that are in favor of like going after China, like you have to understand, like it's mostly American intel that's like propagating this information that like china's the like china's going to take over massive areas around like around the world and i I don't think that's going to be the case i think most of it comes from like neocon think tanks and like again like uh you know central intelligence agency uh that the that china is like an imminent threat to the west which I, i don't think so I don't, you know, if anything, like, China knows what they're doing, don't get me wrong, and they're going to be a superpower, uh, but I don't think they're going to be that, like, privy to having area that America was once in. Like, I don't think that's going to be the case. Don't get me wrong, they're going to be the next superpower, and I suggest you all to, like, learn Mandarin because that China, that Chinese audience is very important, as we've come to expect from John Cena, um, but... To think that like China will make the same mistakes as America will make, I think you're selling China short. And uh, yeah, the person at the bar that was like, "Oh, China's gonna own Afghanistan." I mean, yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, overall, this was a good idea by Joe Biden to do. And uh, overall, it's gonna be interesting to see what's gonna happen. You know, it's it's gonna be very interesting to see what's going to happen with those in the establishment and how they view the afghanistan war because if they're going to run in 2024 they got to be in support of joe biden uh, pulling troops out of out of afghanistan they're going to be there's going to be a caveat to it obviously they're going to be all oh, i would have pulled the troops out differently no this this was going to be the result of it it's going to be the taliban taking over kabul and taking over afghanistan 
Uh, there will be no other way other than that. So I think Republicans should be very aware that the war in Afghanistan is very unpopular, especially in 2021. And to insinuate that people are in favor of the, of the Afghanistan war, I think that's an immediate, immediate, uh, in my opinion, an immediate sort of Xing it out, Xing out who you are as a candidate. So I think if Josh Hawley or Rand Paul want to run, uh, they have to be understand of that. They have to understand that and be aware of that. And, and if anything, I think that actually gives them the ability to connect with liberals and with the other side. And it allows them to endear themselves to those people that maybe are Joe Biden supporters or maybe are on the anti-war left and allows them to join their coalition so that they can win the primary and be able to run for the general election for the presidential run, for the presidential race. So I think that's something that should be in the back of, their, of Josh Hawley's mind, should be in the back of Rand Paul's mind. And if I, if I was an advisor to them, I would be tweeting out their support for Joe Biden as he embarks on the Afghanistan withdrawal. Because let me tell you, Raytheon, Halliburton, and Lockheed Martin, they are not in favor of this at all. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think that's good. That's at least good to at least point out. Uh, and again, I, I want to say, I want to reiterate, uh, hats off to Joe Biden for pulling this off. Uh, I don't know why I was so mad at Joe Biden last podcast, uh, but I understand now that uh, a lot of people were not in favor of this decision. I think anybody who goes after the establishment and goes after the powers that be, uh, I think that's really good. You know, it, this was a JFK move by Joe Biden, and I, I think this is a, a right thing that he did. This is the right thing that he did. So hats off to Joe Biden for doing this. Um, yeah, okay. Let's get into Lauren Bobbert saying Taliban is building back better. Okay, so Lauren Bobbert, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because uh, why would I? Uh, but Lauren Bobbert basically said on Twitter on August 16th, today's the 18th. I'm filming this on Wednesday. You're going to hear this on Thursday. Uh, the Taliban are the only people building back better. Uh, and I mean, this is interesting, man. You know, this is very interesting. I don't know what she means by this. But kudos to her for being very uh, out there, I would say. I mean, the Taliban are against gay marriage. They want women to be covered up. They're anti-vax. They want children to be married uh, by the age of 15. Like women, like, like, I don't, I don't even want to call, I don't even want to call them women. Just like daughters to be married by age of 15. If that's what you consider building back better, uh... You may want to get your uh, brain examined. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say that uh, out front, up front. You know, I remember, I mean, Lauren Balbert's like a very weird individual. I mean, she reminds me so much of Sarah Palin. Like the way that she talks, the way that she speaks, the way that she looks, her cadence, all of it just reminds me of like a dumber, more idiotic, more like, I don't want to say the word, but like, you know what I mean? Just like a more like gross version of Sarah Palin. And all of this is all what this shows is that she's probably going to run for vice president. Uh, it's going to be probably gonna, it's probably going to be like Mike Pence and Lauren Bobbert. It's going to be like Tim Scott and Lauren Bobbert uh, for 2024. So brace yourselves because it's going to be very it's you're going to see like the Republican Party borrow the cultural cultural aesthetics of the democratic party but like 
codifying it under like a more like quasi libertarian approach to it or they'll be against like welfare i remember like seeing the cpac i remember seeing like what to this year's cpac where lauren bobber was speaking and she was like you know very stammering and hemming and hawing about like we don't want your government cheese we don't want you know what your welfare and she got like a rapturous applause because of it um and it shows you like how tone deaf not only republicans are but also democrats when it comes to like just what working class people are going through uh because i don't know if in a in a pandemic year in a lockdown year where people were restricted from making a living i don't think saying oh we want to restrict your government cheese or your welfare i don't think that's a good message to put out in the in 2021 like i I don't think that's a good message to put out your uh to put across when there are far more important things that are on the line uh such as getting our freedoms back our liberties back and more importantly being able to get health care and uh ending american intervention overseas uh, I think those are the most important things that are in our uh, that are plaguing our society. More importantly, America today is our inability to get access to healthcare, uh, American intervention overseas, and uh, getting back our freedoms and liberties because the lockdowns uh, were very anti-populist. And I think both left-wing populists and right-wing populists should speak up and speak out in terms of lockdowns because it does hurt working-class people the most. Um, so. I think those are the three most important, most pressing issues in America today. And um, Lauren Bobber did not address that in CPAC or in uh, her talks about uh, the Taliban. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting to see uh, what the future is for Lauren Bobber because uh, I don't think this is a winning message. And I don't think the Taliban building back better uh, is good either way. So, uh, but I mean, you got to be honest. If we're going to be honest with you, if we're, if we're going to be honest, the Taliban are like, they're crazy, man. Like, I know that's not the most unpopular opinion, but like the Taliban, like, it's like, remember like the Cubs and the Indians where like the Cubs came back 3-1? This reminds me of the Taliban. Like the Taliban are like the Cubs. I mean, they came back like in style. Like we're talking about George Bush, the Taliban. Like I feel like we've we've taken a time warp back to like the early two thousands, like to, from to the early to mid two thousands. Like this is like crazy. Like the the things that we're discussing is like all two thousand stuff. So two thousand nostalgia is hitting uh, earlier than expected. I thought the nostalgia wave for the two thousands would hit by like twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four maybe, but it's coming back in full swing. Uh, I didn't expect it to be the Afghanistan war that would bring back nostalgia for the Bush years, for the Game Boy years, for the Blockbuster years. But hey, uh, it's it, it, I guess it is. So uh, anyways, let's get into one of the more important things that I actually want to discuss about. And uh, I actually got really mad uh, when I saw this yesterday. Uh, Carrie Underwood got in trouble for liking a tweet by Matt Walsh. So if you guys don't know Matt Walsh, Obviously, I'm, 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 I assume that you guys know who Carrie Underwood is. Singer. I think she won American Idol, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But she liked a tweet from Matt Walsh, who Matt Walsh, if you guys know, has a podcast on the Daily Wire. Daily Wire owned by the Wilkes Brothers and Ben Shapiro. If you guys don't know Ben Shapiro, he's the dude who 
yells at like college liberals and speaks faster than them and puts it on YouTube and has these horrible titles like Ben Shapiro owns liberals with facts and logic. It's like comedian destroys heckler, but not funny. Uh, that's Ben Shapiro for you. Uh, but yeah, Matt Walsh has a podcast where he's like, uh, where he basically talks about, or, or, and let me get into the tweet. He has a video where he posts where he's speaking at his county and he talks about mask mandates for children and how bad it is and how it's ineffective and how these mask mandates are only there for virtue signaling. And he really got like a standing O. Like, I, if I gotta be honest with you, Matt Walsh in the video got a standing O, blew up, got viral. Carrie Underwood liked it, and a lot of people were mad at Carrie Underwood for liking this tweet. A bunch of people on Twitter were mad at her, calling her an anti-vaxxer. This was very, this reminded me of Jay Cutler uh, losing his Uber Eats deal over the weekend for running for school board and not being in favor of mask mandates for children. Uh, and this is my overall opinion on this. Mask mandates for children are barbaric, and I don't think parents understand the PTSD that their that their children are going through when they are forcing their children to wear masks each and every day. Right? I think this is abysmal. I think we will see the long-term repercussions of this in children 10, 20 years now. We're going to see children more isolated, more confined, more restricted, more focused on their phones and their TikToks and Instagrams. I mean, as if they're not already on TikTok and Instagram, I think this is just going to exacerbate their conditions of worse mental health because the less you're able to see somebody's face, the less you're able to talk to them, it does hurt you in the long run. And I'm so glad I was able to live in a world where this wasn't the case. You know, I'm so thankful that I was able to live in a maskless society because I do think uh, people will be wearing masks for the foreseeable future for like the next three, four years, I think. I think even if there are no lockdowns, you know, even if there are no restrictions on people, I still think people will still find a way to wear masks for the next two, three years as new as new variants pop up. So uh, this this is very bad, you know, and to see people on Twitter going after Carrie Underwood, a mom, a person who who understands her children way more than say some random nobody on Twitter, I think is overblown. And I think everybody, regardless of your political affiliation, should be with Carrie Underwood in this because overall this is bad for our children. You know, this is bad for our children. And I can't even fathom like like what we're putting our children through when we're forcing them to wear a mask each and every day. Because it does restrict breathing. It does it does, uh, you know, sort of exacerbate and more importantly, uh, start respiratory problems for them. And I think children should be able to live free. You know, I think, you know, there are low transmission rates for and for COVID with children and forcing them to wear masks. I mean, if they're vaccinated, if they're young, if they're healthy, I don't think it makes any sense. So I think this is something that we should all be in support of Carrie Underwood for, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, I mean, definitely Matt Walsh is creepy. I mean, if you have a, if you have a beard, with glasses, like, I, I can't trust you, like, I, I can't, like, look at you, I mean, like, half of your face is, like, covered as it is, like, it's weird, like, when I hear, like, Matt Walsh, like, you know, maybe that's why he's going after mask mandates, because he already has something covering his face, uh, but when I hear, like, people like Matt Walsh, who look like an incel, but, like, a little bit more, like, fit, when I hear them, like, talk about mask mandates, it's like, you already have half your face covered, like, what are you even talking about, uh, but I think this is one of those things where, like, we have to be in support of because, you know, 
if you are a parent, you have to at least admit that this is a little weird to like put your children and like forcing them to wear a mask. It's a little weird. It's a little psychotic. And this is like a PSA to parents. I'm not a parent. Not that I'm aware of. I don't know if I have a child, you know, but I might. Who knows? You know, who knows? No, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Uh, <laughs> but if you are a parent, nobody should tell you how to parent your kid. No one. You know, that's your child. That's your baby. That's your. That's the person that you, you know, love and appreciate. And, you know, are, you're going to see, you know, him or her graduate high school and maybe college and maybe get married. Nobody has the right to tell you how you, sh- how you should parent your kid. No one. And all these people on Twitter... Uh, can suck a dick because what they're doing to Carrie Underwood, I think, is abysmal and barbaric. And yeah, I think regardless of where you line, align with, whether you're a libertarian, a libertarian or Republican or Green Party or socialist, communist, whatever you believe, you should be in support of Carrie Underwood uh, for parenting your children to the best of her ability and uh, not letting Twitter get after her for, for doing it. So yeah, that's just... This is overall my opinion on on the matter. So, all right, um, I, I, that was a good little thing. I, I'm happy I got that out of my chest because I, I needed that. Um, because man, oh man, I was like so mad uh, when I saw people uh, going after her for doing this. But anyways, again, as you kind of can tell, uh, not that many topics today. Not that many interesting topics. Uh, Aquafina's black sand controversy. We can obviously get into it. Uh, so Aquafina got in trouble on Monday, uh, on Twitter, surprise, surprise, uh, for speaking in an African-American vernacular English accent, I would say. Um, and she got in trouble for code switching because in her Vogue video, she spoke properly and she spoke in a very sort of, uh, normal way, I would say. I wouldn't say eloquent because like, she's just speaking regular English, uh, but you know, she got in trouble for code switching in her Vogue video for not for speaking properly for speaking properly, and um, you know Twitter got mad for her for you know saying that she's code switching that she's uh you know using the plight of black people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah for using for using black people spe- for using black people uh, in their way of communicating and sort of profiting off of it. Um, so this is my opinion on it. People are a product of their environment. Uh, so I try not to go after Aquafina for this. You know, I mean, she did grow up in Queens, an area where it, where there are black people. It's mostly white. Uh, she spent some time in China. She went to school in China. Uh, her real name is Nora Loom. It doesn't really speak. It doesn't really show like, you know, it, it doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm with my 40. I'm with my with my bacon, egg and cheese with my uh uh i don't know i don't know what's what, what's related to harlem you know i'm trying to find more ways to like we at the bodega you know it doesn't really scream Jesus and marrow you know like her her come up her uh her background doesn't necessarily necessarily scream i want to bake bacon egg and cheese and i want to go down the one train it doesn't really scream that it doesn't scream asap rocky when you hear nora loom's background uh or aquafina's background so i mean I don't know. It's very interesting because, like, I see like a lot of people uh, who grew up in New York who do speak in African American vernacular English. You know, I mean, Michael Rappaport, Andrew Schultz—they they have this sort of uh, black way of speaking. I would say, 
and like in very dull terms i would say they have a very like urban way of speaking of getting their point across and definitely hear it in their podcast and the way they rant uh and sometimes they do like switch it up you know when they're with somebody in a room that isn't from that environment uh so it's interesting to see how people who grew up in new york speak to other black people and how they like change to speak to white people uh or people not within that culture uh so it, it's very like peculiar i would say but overall like you have to understand that we're all products of our environment you know i mean i know a lot of people that you know when they're speaking to other bostonians really hype that uh bostonian accent that boston accent you know a lot of r's not being pronounced you know but the only r that they do pronounce is when they're saying retarded uh so it's 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 uh it's a very very interesting you know no actually no they don't say the r word when they say the the r word <laughs> they don't they don't say the they don't you know pronounce their r's when they see the r word what i'm saying like i'm from boston like i should be understanding what they do and what they don't say uh <laughs> but yeah i mean it's interesting you know to see like people go after aquafina uh i'm not that familiar with her i'm not all i know about her is that like she was from like girl code and that she had that movie come out about like her grandmother dying and how nobody in the family would tell her grandmother that she was dying uh that's all i know from her i know she has like a golden globe or like actually got like a golden globe nomination but that's all i know about aquafina other than that uh so it's interesting to see like people go after aquafina for this um yeah that's that's about it with the topic uh anyways all right let's end it uh we're in the final topic of today hope solo says that megan rapinoe forced players to kneel so on the u.s women's soccer show that you can listen to on spotify hope solo said that megan sorry let me go back on the u.s women's soccer show hope solo said that megan rapinoe would force people to kneel for the anthem. And, um, yeah, people are mad. You know, people on both sides are mad. It's a war. The new culture war is this war. I'm sure Ben Shapiro covered it on the on his show. Maybe, maybe not, because that's all Ben Shapiro really talks about is culture war things other than the, than the war in Afghanistan, mostly culture war things. Um, but... Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, Hope Solo, Magna Rapinoe. Uh, two players who I do not really identify with. Uh, I, I really do not care about Hope Solo. I really do not care about Magna Rapinoe. So this is the perfect topic for me. Um, Megan Rapinoe, I mean, listen, I think she's cringe. Uh, she's like a Warren liberal, I would say. She's a very... she's She loves Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so that shows you that she's a fake populist. Uh, she does not really care about the plight of working class people. In Hope Solo, uh, she's been accused of some domestic violence things. So two people who I detest a lot and um, hopefully they're able to, you know, end it with a, with a solid, you know, solid, uh, you know, mutual departure from one another. You know, I mean, I, I feel like Hope Solo still has resentment towards that U.S. women's team for uh, not really staying, standing behind her when she was cut or released. I mean, Hope Solo is like 30, 40 years old. So obviously, you know, her being released would happen sooner than later. And, uh, you know, Megan Rapinoe has some 
dislike for Hope Solo for, uh, you know, for having more solid press behind her, I would say. So it, it's one of the things, it's one of those things where I just want them to do to duke it out, you know. I want to see Megan Rapinoe, you know, do free kicks against Hope Solo, and hopefully they're able to duke it out through that because who really cares about who stands and who kneels for the anthem? Uh, honestly, like for me, in my opinion, if you kneel for the anthem, that's fine. If you stand for the anthem, that's fine. In my opinion, you're honoring the flag both ways. Um, what I don't like is when I see Colin Kaepernick profit out of it. You know, when I see him sign a Nike deal and when I see him uh, work with private equity with this, because it kind of shows me that you're willing to sell out and not really get your point across. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm for like, you know, kneeling. I'm for like standing up. I think uh, if you live in a free country, you should be able to do whatever you want. Uh, when it comes to the flag, uh, just understand that uh, people will be talking about it and they will be criticizing you. And that's what Hope Solo did to Megan Rapinoe. And more importantly, if Megan Rapinoe forced force players to kneel, uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, it's up to you. You know, we live in America. We live in a world that values freedom, where the American people value freedom. And yes, the American government each and every day is restricting you from your freedoms and liberties on a day-to-day -day basis. But American people value your freedom, and to see Megan Rapinoe force players to kneel, if the rumors are true, if what Hope Solo said was true, I think it's pretty bad. Um, but overall, it's Hope Solo and it's Megan Rapinoe, uh, two people that uh, are better suited for the view than for playing soccer. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think that's where... I will leave it at that, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Also, if you're listening to, to the show on iTunes, make sure you rate, to review, and subscribe. And I don't know what I'm, I'm going to be talking about on Tuesday. Maybe it's the Cincinnati Open. I know there's one more week left in the Western and Southern Open. So uh, I'll be talking about that, and I'll be talking about things that are happening within our cultural, political, societal realm as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. I will see you guys on Tuesday. Hopefully there are more interesting topics to at least discuss. Um, I'm sure COVID's going to be a big thing. So guys, I'll see you guys on Tuesday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.